Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast, brought to you alongside the awesome guys at Koan, of course. Um, and today I am delighted to have joining me Matt Fornacciari. Uh, apologies, Matt, if I've just completely made a mess of the pronunciation of your, your surname there. It's um, pretty close. <laughs> it'll do, right? <laughs> um, so Matt joins us from a, from a company called Gremlin, where he's the CTO. Um, and interestingly, Gremlin are a remote working company, um, you know, by default, not just enforced by COVID-19. Uh, and today, Matt and I really are going to talk about why OKRs work remotely, not, not just when it's enforced. Um, before we get, get into that, though, Matt, tell us, you know, a bit about yourself, your background and who Gremlin are and what you guys do there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so as, as Lawrence mentioned, you know, my name is Matthew Fornaceri, but uh, most people will just call me Forney. I am the co-founder and CTO of Gremlin, which we are a company fo- focused on increasing reliability for our customers. And we do that, you know, with primarily with chaos engineering as the linchpin. So the idea is, you know, as folks are migrating off of bare metal into the cloud or whatever their, their kind of the latest uh, initiative is, making sure that they're doing it not only um, quickly and, and safely, but like in a reliable manner. So building reliability into the software engineering uh, lifecycle. Uh, before starting Gremlin, you know, I did this back at Amazon and Salesforce. And Amazon was, this was back when Amazon was just the retail website. And so whenever Amazon went down, it was a lot of money. So we learned very quickly that we had to be proactive and go out and test things uh, in a proactive way, which is sort of where the idea of chaos engineering came from having these sort of controlled chaos experiments um, to make sure that you're prepared when things go wrong in the real world. So eventually spun that out, started Gremlin, and uh, you know that was five years ago. So here we are today. Fantastic. So you just had your fifth birthday, have you? About to. I, I say five years. It's uh, We'll be five in, I believe it's January 28th. So coming up. Fantastic. Not too far away at all. Not too far. And, and, and what's your role there then, Matt? I am the CTO and co-founder. So it's, you know, it's a different role kind of depending on which aspect, which timeline in the company we're talking about. It was originally our chief architect, then VP of engineering, you know, products and, and back and forth. So the CTO role in and of itself, and I was, I was talking about this the other day, is it's a little bit fluid and it kind of requires filling in some of the gaps. Uh, so, you know, right now it's, it's managing all of R&D, uh, product, engineering, security, uh, that whole that whole sort of shebang. So, just give us a, a quick thirty second elevator pitch then on on what chaos engineering is, because I don't think it'll be something that's familiar to all our listeners. Yeah, hundred percent. So, chaos engineering is the practice, and we emphasize that word because it really is a practice. It's something you have to continually get better at, you know, like yoga or something. But it's the practice of going out and proactively breaking things, causing a little chaos in your environment. So you can validate some of the assumptions that you have about how things will behave. You know, a lot of us spend a lot of time setting up all of these resilience mechanisms and making sure that we have redundancy, but never actually go about testing that failovers will happen or that, you know, we're resistant to CPU or memory spikes. And these are the kind of things that happen, you know, in the real world on the day to day. So the idea is for chaos engineering is go out proactively, uh, have some controlled chaos, some experiments to make sure that what you think will happen actually does. 
Fantastic. It, it sounds like an exciting space. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, I mean, chaos engineering, even just as a term, is, is great, isn't it? I mean, it feels a little bit kind of juxtaposed almost, um, yeah. I think is why it kind of sparks the interest in, in anyone that hears it. So it sounds like you guys are, are doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, 100%. We like to think so. And uh, so do our customers. Yeah, I'm sure. So tell us when you first came across OKRs then, Matt. Yeah, actually, I came across OKRs. Uh, I mean, I've heard of the term OKR a, a, a bunch from way back when. You know, I, I lived with some some Googlers at the time, and as I'm sure we all know, OKRs are a big are a big component of Google. Um, but I didn't really start getting into them until I read Measure What Matters, which I'm sure a lot of folks listening have have heard of. Um, but I started reading that kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, just as a way, you know. When you're in the startup world, you have no shortage of opportunities to go pursue. And really what you have to do in order to pursue some of them well is figure out what you say no to. Um, and that was kind of what struck a chord with me with OKRs. You know, we want to do everything, I think, inherently sort of as, as human beings and especially in the startup world, we want to chase everything. But OKRs really give you... Um, that sort of license to say, no, this is what's important. We're not going to go chase this other opportunity, at least not now. Um, and so that's when I sort of stumbled across OKRs as a, a, a mechanism to really define what is important. Um, and, you know, conversely, sort of what is, what is not, at, at least at present, to the business and, and really communicate that uh, across teams and make sure the entire organization is, is on board, you know, and, and understands. Yeah, that's really interesting that that's kind of the thing that you were looking for when when approaching OKRs because it's one of the most common pieces of feedback I get um, from my clients or byproduct of OKRs. You know, people didn't realize they were going to get that when they implemented them, that that permission to say no. Um, and it's such a almost a feeling of freedom once you realize you can do that, isn't it? It is. And I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, like permission to say no. I think oftentimes there's a um, there, there's sort of a, an, an intent or an impetus to, to always say yes to everything, right? To say yes and to everything that's kind of coming in the door. And really, you know, at, at least at this stage in a startup, and honestly, at least in my experience, any stage of a company, you can't do everything and do it well. So empowering folks to one, you know, understand what is important. And then two, be able to say, like, how does this relate to the top line for the company? How does this relate to our top line OKRs? How does this relate into the objectives we're talking about? And really think about that critically. Mm -hmm. I think, honestly, it just spurs some more creative thinking and allows for folks to, you know, either say this doesn't help or this does, but not in the way we thought it did. Maybe it, it relates a little bit more in this realm or helps a little bit more in the marketing focus, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you hit on an important point there as well. And, and I've seen it in businesses that I've worked in, um, where the leaders are constantly telling the employees that everything is important, everything that happens is super important. And, and people just kind of stop believing you. Um, and the next thing is important. And, and people kind of don't care anymore that you think it's important as a leader, because you've said that about everything. Yep. Um, and, and I guess OKRs provide that framework for um, showcasing what is truly important, um, especially in a startup world. Well, and also one of the interesting things I think is people oftentimes think that OKRs are concrete, right? It's, nope, this is what we're doing. 
as opposed to let's continuously check in and review whether or not this remains important to the business. Mm-hmm. I think, especially recently with you know COVID and you know, given that we're a startup on top of that, there's a lot of just sort of change in direction. Um, and there there can be things that we had a couple of things last go around that were important to us at the time. And then we decided, hey, this is not quite what we need to be focusing on right now. We need to get back to basics. We need to sort of, I mean, for, you know, my engineering brain says deprecate this OKR. You know, we need to, to deprioritize this in favor of something else or just not in favor of something else. Just in general, we need to focus on these two things instead of these four things. That makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. So how was your initial experience of, of rolling OKRs out within Gremlin then? Um, we did too much. <laughs> I think one of the things that uh, Measure What Matters really advocates is kind of, as you're, you're bringing this in, you know, dip your toe in. Don't, don't go kind of whole hog and then, take on too much at once. Um, I think that's also something I've just heard in general, and this is more anecdotal, but something that is more, um, it's more prevalent sort of at the beginning stages of OKRs. So we've, we've kind of had more of a pendulum experience where it's like, cool, we'll very, very loosely define objectives, but maybe not as much okay as much of the like KRs. Then it was, okay, we're going to define these all very, very, very clearly, and we're going to dictate them from the top down. And that didn't go over quite, you know, there was just too much kind of getting bubbled up. And so we've, we've kind of settled more in a kind of in between the two. Um, but the first, I mean, the first iterations, I think, you know, everybody I talked to is like, oh yeah, it's going to take you at least three quarters to figure out OKRs. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's about right in terms of timeline. <laughs> and did you get buy-in from the beginning from, from all the teams? Yeah. So we got buy-in, I think from a lot of our, um, a lot of our leadership, but I think oftentimes, you know, we would have folks that just did OKRs differently at different companies. You know, we put together a collection of folks from Google, Facebook, Dropbox, uh, Amazon, Salesforce, like a bunch of these different companies that sort of have different goal setting. And so, but we got buy-in. We didn't necessarily have, um, we didn't have the, the clearest sort of understanding of what OKRs meant to us at Gremlin. But we had a, a sort of mishmash of what folks, what, what OKRs and goal setting meant to folks at other companies. Um, so that this is kind of where I took on the, the sort of shepherding role and wrote a, an OKR TLDR, which was sort of boiling down, you know, measure what matters in, in some of the other leadership books. And really just saying, like, here are the things, like, here are the main superpowers of OKRs and how we execute them here. So... It, it, it's taken some iteration, I guess, is what I, the, the long way of saying it took some iteration. Yeah, and, and it's re- so important to do that right at the very beginning as well, to, to create that consistency and clarity throughout the organization. Um, otherwise, you're going to make it so hard for everybody else to buy into the process. Yeah, and I think, again, back to, to kind of your other question about how did it go the first go around? Like I said, we did a little too much. And so it, it didn't really provide that, um, didn't provide that like permission to say no and permission to really, or, you know, that sort of clarity on, on the couple of things that were the most important, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody could say no because everything was in their OKR sort of thing. Or somehow some way related. Right. So, yeah. So you're the OKR shepherd at Gremlin, are you? Yes, I'm hoping to, you know, indoctrinate, for lack of better words, a few other folks 
Mm-hmm. Um, but for all intents and purposes, yeah, during the past quarter, I was sort of the shepherd asking to make sure that we were updating some, uh, updating all of the, the KRs as we track them, making sure that they were properly defined. You know, I think it, it uh, necessitates a team. I, I think, you know, I've read in, in Measure What Matters just that like, oh, there's one person that kind of does this. And I just, I don't think that's the way to, to success necessarily. I think there needs to be um, a couple of folks bought in that can kind of all drive the process in order for it to be, you know, more widely adopted. And I think that's just in general, sort of the more providing the context and allowing for folks to, to, to kind of sort of define their own um, OKRs that roll up to the, the company level OKRs. I think that's sort of how you, you build that buy-in. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's important, of course, to have, you know, the exec sponsor, on, on the team, like like the position you would be in, but I think once you've got multiple people that can start to be, um, you know, coaches or ambassadors dotted around the organization, uh, you're just creating a stronger stronger culture of OKRs within the business, really. Right, exactly. And at the time, I think we were around 70 people. So, you know, having one exec uh, trying to just sort of run it down is a little, it just becomes almost a full-time job, right? So making sure that that can kind of be dispersed a bit, um, but having one person that still kind of cares about it from a, at the exec level as a sponsor, I think is is very, very helpful. Otherwise, you're, you're kind of dead in the water from the get-go. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's important for the coaches to have that exec sponsor they can lean on as well, because sometimes they'll be needing to uh, actually crack the whip a little bit with the exec team, um, yep. you know, so which obviously isn't the easiest if you're not in the exec team yourself. Uh, so it is important that person is in place. Cohen is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs helps your team achieve their objectives and key results, helps them get aligned, and it helps them stay engaged. Shared spreadsheets simply don't scale when you're using OKRs properly, and you're not going to have a maximum impact with them. But with Coan, you can scale your OKRs right across your entire company, keeping your team super motivated and moving everybody in the right direction. Roger, what's one of your favorite features about Koan? So the thing that I really love about Koan and have done ever since uh, I first saw it was how it really puts the conversation around OKRs at the heart of the system and it really helps stimulate that, which obviously brings really good collaboration. You know, they've got this uh, reflections feature which uh, helps uh, individuals really prepare for the the team conversation which is going to come up where the collaboration is going to take place so I, 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 that would definitely be the thing for me which is the the killer feature of the system so how many people are in the organization now then Matt? I believe it's about 65 right now I'd have to check uh, rippling to get the exact number um, but yeah it's still I mean fairly sizable uh, startup world but you know one of the things we we kind of figured out early on is you know there's been a, well, not necessarily around, in, in sort of the recent past, there's been a shift more from Silicon Valley um, in the sort of Silicon Valley mindset from just grow at all expenses and and that sort of thing to more of responsible growth, you know, growing the team in, in line with ARR. And that's, you know, something that we, one of our core values is frugality. And so, you know, one of the things we want to do is make sure that we kind of adhere to that um, mm-hmm. as, we, as we grow, right? It's, kind of gone are the days of like growth at all costs, at least in the Valley right now. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea is to to really make sure that you're in line with what your, what the projections are and that just that you're growing responsibly. So we mentioned at the beginning then that um, 
Gremlin are a remote team by default. Um, how come you and your, your fellow co-founder made that decision? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, the, the sort of like short snarky answer is, you know, I lived in San Francisco and he lived in San Jose and it's a hell of a commute. So we didn't want to be making that commute every single day or having everybody kind of move to Menlo Park or something like that. Um, but I mean, the, the real sort of longer answer is we don't really want to discriminate in terms of talent based on location. And we found some just incredible engineers from all over the country. Same with sales folks, same with marketing folks. And, you know, our, our goal is really to collect, you know, collect a, a fantastic team sort of from all walks of life, no matter where they are. And I think that that gives us a little bit of, uh, uh, gives us some leverage in terms of being able to build that team just because we're not bound by location. Mm -hmm. uh, we're able to, to draw, kind of draw from, from everywhere. And do you have any employees outside of the States or are you covering your state space at the moment? We currently have a couple of folks in uh, the Netherlands. Um, we originally, when we kicked off the company, had somebody in Germany. Um, you know, when we were very, very small, it was a little tough to deal with some of those time zones. But for the vast, you know, the for the majority of our folks, they're in somewhere in the States um, or, you know, Canada. And there's kind of spread from the Pacific time zone to the Eastern time zone. Awesome. Yeah. So how were, how were things at Amazon then? Was it very metric-driven, your, your career with, within there? That is a great question. It was incredibly metric-driven, and it is what drove my love of metrics meetings. And what we had back then were monthly business reviews. Right. Um, beyond that, though, you know, after... So I originally was on the availability team at Amazon, where the team sort of tasked with keeping the Amazon retail website up and running. Like I mentioned sort of at the beginning of the episode, you know, when Amazon went down back then, that was lots and lots of money. I'm sure it's lots more money now, but part of the reason we invested. But within a year, I was actually spun off uh, and given my own team called the Fatals team. So it was the team that tracked any like 5XX, so any server error. Um, anytime basically a customer had a bad experience and was unable to procure whatever they were looking for. And uh, within you know a couple of weeks of being given that job, I had to write a weekly email to uh, Jeff Bezos or Uncle Jeff, as we called him at the time, and the uh, exec team explaining all the broken things. So I learned to be very metric driven very quickly, uh, and it was definitely trial by fire. You know, you wanted to see those numbers going down. I think uh, at the time he would respond to these emails with either a smiley face, a sad face, or a question mark. And uh, I'll I'll give you a little hint: he, you didn't want to see the last two. So. Very, very metric-driven sort of from the get-go. I guess, you know, the way that links to, to OKRs really at this point then as well is that you learn very quickly to um, realize which metrics were important. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's, you know, the, the title of the book, Measure What Matters, really kind of gives, a, gives the idea away. But I think the idea being that if you don't measure something, you, you're really hard-pressed to move the needle on it. But identifying the right thing to move is a little bit, it can be, it can be very challenging, right? And, or it, it may even be hard to get access to that number. So, you know, initially I had to actually write up a bunch of scripts that pushed a bunch of numbers together and queried a bunch of different services to get the full picture of sort of how many things were failing. Um, but yeah, without that sort of goal around driving that number down, probably wouldn't have ever happened. Mm. So at Gremlin then, how, how have you kind of used that information going forwards? Do you, you kind of take an approach of 
no, you know what? I did this for, for Amazon. I did it for Uncle Jeff. I know what the key results need to be. They're X, Y, and Z. Or do you try and get everybody involved in the process and involved in setting their key results? Yeah, so this uh, this is kind of where we, I think, did that little pendulum I mentioned earlier. You know, initially it was like, no, here are the numbers I think we need to move. Let's go move them. Or let's at least measure them first and foremost. Um, but it's kind of swung back the other way in terms of, you know, here are the things that are important to the business. How do we want to measure these? You know, there's that's not to say that there aren't still a few I feel very strongly on. You know, we're actually working on building out more of a fatal program right now. Um, and just being a reliability company, you know, tracking our availability is very important. So making sure we have the appropriate SLAs to find and we're sharing those and that we stay up and running, you know, those sort of things are, are things that I care very deeply about and we'll sort of take a hard stance behind. But but more broader than that, there's more contribution from the rest of the guys. Yeah, I mean, I think as we have stronger leaders, they feel very strongly about what they need to to track. And so they're willing to, to step in and say, hey, this is an important number. Um, one of the things, you know, we were tracking for a bit in terms of customer engagement was tracking time to first attack, right? Um, so the, the whole idea being, you know, we need to get from a customer logging in or a prospect logging in to actually running a chaos engineering experiment, to running an attack. And we did a whole bunch of things to try to get that time down a bit. But we actually got it down to, you know, a couple minutes but then realized, you know, we were having them run it on our own infrastructure. And so it was, you know, in, in a playground. So it wasn't giving them that aha moment. So we, we sort of mutated the, the idea, you know, our Tammy Buto, our, our customer success, uh, you know, our VP of reliability, head of customer success was like, hey, I think this is actually the more important thing to be measuring. So it just as people get more familiar with the territory, you know, they, they have great ideas and the ideas we want to, we want to make, we, we hire very autonomous folks and we give them the context they need. And then we hope, you know, we, we want to get obstacles out of their way so that they can perform at the, their, you know, the top level and, and be able to provide that sort of insight. Perfect. Um, so I believe you um, rolled out your OKRs alongside the, the Koan platform, did you? We did, Yes. So we brought that out a while back. You know, they've been doing some excellent work to uh, roll out uh, a lot of integrations that actually take some of the hand work out of that. Um, yeah, we decided that they were a great platform and uh, decided to, to sort of jump in there. You know, we've since, like I mentioned, kind of come back a little bit more. Um, and so we're, we're kind of back a little bit more towards, you know, pen and paper or um, like... Google Docs, that sort of thing, just as we've sort of simplified. And actually, one of the things that we we found is we really wanted folks to not just sort of like tie into Salesforce, not just tie into, um, you know, Jira and just slurp in those metrics, but actually visually see them so they could feel the metrics and, and sort of track the progress over time. Yeah. So, so how um, has kind of mentioned a few different uh, pieces of software there, actually, I suppose, Coangira, Google Docs, all, all amazing pieces of software in their own right. How, how do you use those to really, um, you know, enable your remote team, um, even pre and during COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. So we've actually, we've also incorporated another tool called Slight, um, which is more of a like wiki um, and is kind of world editable and more discoverable. 
Um, you know, Koan was our, our sort of like visibility tool to show folks like sort of what the top level was. You know, Google Docs are still how we share some of the more important sort of collaborative work. So, you know, if you need to be working on something, get multiple iterations of sort of review and then get it signed off, that's sort of how we go through that. You know, Jira is just sort of the de facto for, uh, for engineering and making sure that we've got bugs in there, uh, that we're tracking bugs appropriately and following up with customers. And then, you know, beyond that, Zendesk for our support team so we can track a little bit more. I mean, all of these tools, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty common name, co commonplace, and they all kind of tie in in certain ways. You know, one of the things we were planning to do is, is really tie them all together a little bit more uh, concretely and that always just more integrations means a little bit more pain sometimes, you know? So we're still working through that. I'll let you know when we figure it out. <laughs> Please do. Um, so what sort of OKRs do you guys set there? Are they, are they all, you know, hard metric based given you're in this chaos engineering realm and everything is, is this super focus on, on metrics and what's working and what isn't working? Or, or do you have any more kind of free OKRs, I suppose, sentiment-based OKRs maybe? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually love if you could elaborate a little bit more on, I guess, what you mean by sentiment-driven. We've got, uh, you know, a diversity, equity, and inclusion OKR that we're tracking right now. It's right. still like lightly metric-based in the sense that, you know, we think that providing, you know, boot camps to, uh, you know, underrepresented uh, minorities and upper underrepresented groups, um, sort of earlier stage, the high school, college level, will get them sort of exposed to reliability as a practice and chaos engineering within that. Um, and that's one of the things we're taking on, just making sure we're doing that, as well as, you know, posting all of our job descriptions, uh, our open job recs onto, um, you know, boards uh, job boards that promote diversity and inclusion those sort of things is that is that kind of in the realm of what you're asking about yeah i suppose so i guess i was kind of thinking about um you know a lot of our clients and, and a lot of the listeners things start to include okrs around employee engagement culture um that sort of values that sort of thing as well um but but they're often a lot easier to incorporate when you've got a a team that's working, um, you know, together in an office. Um, I was, I was just wondering, I suppose, whether you kind of touch on those things as well as a remote workforce or not. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, one of the things we're kind of doubling back down on here is training and onboarding. You know, right. I was just reading uh, the hard thing about hard things, just great book. Highly recommend to anyone if they haven't read it. But you know, one of the things that really resonated with me that Ben Horowitz said was like, training is the manager's responsibility. And if you're not doing it, you're setting your engineer, your your engineers, your employees up for failure. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you know that we're we're focusing a little bit more on. I mentioned we had a back to school all hands today. Um, you know the idea of going back into our core values and making sure that you know employees are hearing them directly from the horse's mouth, from you know the the founders and the founding team, and why we did this, um, why we selected these. We haven't actually, it's a great point uh, that you make, Lawrence. Like, I, we haven't actually done a follow up. Uh, well, we just had this this morning, so we, there's still time. But we, we usually do send out surveys after, um, after our um, 
all hands just to see sort of like how, how folks enjoyed it, if it helped them sort of understand a little bit better, but something a little bit more targeted towards, you know, did this help you understand the core values? What would you say your grasp is on them? You know, that sort of thing. I did send some of those out after the OKR training sessions I had and was, was delighted to see, you know, some of the understanding from folks kind of go up and to the right with respect mm-hmm. to like what OKRs and how we run them. But it is, it's hard. That's a hard thing to measure, you know? It is. It is. That's what I was going to come on to next. How if you <laughs> if you'd found a way to measure it, but I suppose not. Um, Google Google Forms. Uh, you know, just t- kind of tracking things over time, seeing if folks feel a little bit more like they understand. Yeah, it's you know, it's, I, your, I think your guess here is as good as mine, and probably much better. Frankly, I've uh, I've been trying. We've been trying a couple of different things and, and a couple of different tools, and I, I like I said, I think it's it's pretty hard. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's worth doing, especially if it's a problem for some organizations. You know, we've seen some companies target this area, for example, because they have high employee turnover. Um, mm. There you do have a hard metric, you know, that you're looking to bring down. Um, and, and so that would be more more like attrition or, or regretted attrition in, in yeah. terms of what they're trying to attract. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um been really interesting, Matt. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I just find this whole chaos engineering realm fascinating. Um, but we're, we've blown through half an hour, unbelievable. <laughs> it was easy chatting with you, Lawrence. Yeah. Um, I guess just one last question, which, which I ask everybody, really. Um, one piece of advice that you give to a company or business leader that, that wanted to get going on their OKR journey? Sure. I think that's a great question. Let me, let me think about that for a sec. Cause I mean, usually the advice I go with is, you know, start with a customer and work backwards. Um, I think that honestly, that fits here a little bit. One of the things that we saw early on was we were setting OKRs around what we wanted to see and not necessarily how we wanted to help our customers or what we needed to help our customers with. So, you know, we were saying reduce the time to aha moment, but not, you know, actually increasing and making the aha moments more relevant to our customers and their specific uh, installations. So we were really basing them around, um, I think we were, we were basing some of our, our uh, OKRs around input metrics, really, as opposed to output metrics. Wow. I think you've got to have a nice, healthy balance of the two of them. I think the, the output kind of starts with the, the customer and works backwards a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good good uh, piece of advice, actually. And um, you know, we we start all of our implementations before we even get onto OKRs, um, thinking a little bit about strategy um, to begin with, because obviously it's got to align into your bigger strategy piece. And when we encourage our our clients to think of it from from an external perspective first, so that is thinking about the customer first and working backwards. Um, but then also from an internal perspective, um, and that's probably slightly more sentiment based, like we were talking about before. But I think I think the same can be said. You know, you can think of of your employees kind of as your customers of your culture and values and and place to work at the same time. Um, so I think I think that's a great piece of advice. If you start with those things, you're going to push yourself onto the right track. Well said. I couldn't have said it any better myself. 
And of course, you know, what, what you were saying at the beginning as well is another great piece of advice is, is don't try and do too much. You don't have to do everything <laughs> in the first quarter. You really don't. Yeah, I figured I would stray off the beaten path a little bit. My guess is, you know, a lot of folks uh, figure that one out pretty quickly. But you're totally right. Don't try to do too much. Really kind of hone it down and, and figure out how much you can handle, uh, especially given sort of the size of the company. Because like, like we talked about earlier, if you try to do too much, you, you can't say no to anything. You can't really get a good handle on what is important. Absolutely. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It, it's been a really great discussion uh, and I know that the listeners will take a, a lot from it. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure. Cool. So thanks everybody for listening. Hope you're all well. Uh, hope you're staying safe. And um, of course, if you have any questions, just drop me an email, lawrence at Um But otherwise, look forward to recording the next episode for you uh, and speak to you all soon. Cheers. Bye.